Thanks, Will and Beth. They made it all the way here from Brady. That's a long trip, huh? Brady, Texas. Y'all know where that's at? If you go through Brady and you blink, you've missed it, right? So Brady, it's a good town. I went to school in Brownwood, so I know where Brady's at, and uh, glad you guys could, could travel here. And I know Beth is an antiquer and uh, some sort, right? Something like that. And uh, so she was here for this thing called Round Top, whatever's happening up the street. So I made the mistake of going up that highway the other day, and there's just no stinking way to turn around once you've once you've sinned and made that mistake, you're just going to go down that trail for a long, long, long time. So anyway, hey, do y'all remember when TVs didn't have remotes? Yeah, you're telling your age. I've heard stories about it. No, I'm just kidding. When I was a young, young person, I was the remote. Some of you were the same way. Your mom or dad would say, hey, change the channel, and you'd get up and you would change the channel. I remember praying I had a TV in my room kind of hidden back. I had this little cool little setup, and um, I got to that age, and my parents said, okay, you can have one, but it's got to go off at a certain time. But it was black and white. Okay, imagine that. And um, so I had a rule at a certain time it had to be off, and if it wasn't off, it was going to get taken out. And so I remember many times praying, like really, really hard praying, that that little white dot, because when you turned off a black and white TV, it would go whoosh, and it would just have this one little bitty white dot, and it would sit there. And I'd be like, Lord, please, 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 don't let it go, let it go, let it go. So my parents wouldn't see it. And um, most of the time, it happened. You remember when you didn't have cable? Or that moment when you did get cable, and you had this huge, chunky box, and you would go up. You still didn't have a remote. You'd have to go up and push the buttons, and it would click and, and all of that. Or you remember when phones were actually attached to a wall? And if you wanted to have privacy to talk to your boyfriend or girlfriend, you had to have like the 100-foot curly cord, and you were walking through. And we probably spent more time in the bathroom talking to our girlfriends and boyfriends and like trying to have that conversation, and your parents are trying to listen. I grew up out in the country, and we had a party line. You know what a party line is? It's not like where everybody gets together. It's where everybody gets together and tries to listen in on your business because they know if you're at one click or two clicks or whatever. And so we... Yeah, it was it was old school. So we didn't have a micro. I remember when we got a microwave and we thought that was cool. Um, cartoons used to only be on Saturday mornings, like from seven to ten o'clock. And so things have changed, haven't they? Some things for the good, some things for the not so good. We are now the most entertained culture ever. We have 24/7 access to TV, to media, to the internet. You know, even here, there's probably some people in this room that aren't necessarily following me but have their phones and are checking scores or their fantasy football or watching something. I mean, I know, I've heard it, the do-do-do, do I mean, I know, that's not Jesus calling, that's ESPN updating, all right? I know. I got you. We're the most entertained culture ever, but we're also the most bored. How many times have you heard someone, they've got TV, they've got internet, they've got all this different stuff, and they're bored? You know what my parents used to say? Go outside and find something to do. Go outside. I, I loved it. This past week we had a young man show up at church with his mom, and they were doing some stuff around here, and he brought his stick to church. And I loved it because that stick was a gun, it was a bow and arrow, it was all this stuff. And the imagination of a two- to three-year-old with a stick 
I was like, man, those, I long for those days to so remember, hey, that stick this big could become anything. And so for so many kids, they've lost that idea. And so like whenever he lost his stick, I mean, it was a big deal. And so we were searching all over the church for the stick because that was his gun, his bazooka, his bow and arrow. It was whatever it was going to be. I mean, that stuff was gone. And so we've come from the most entertained culture in the world to we're also the most bored because we can't do things without someone telling us what we should be doing. Here's the deal. As Christians, we should never be bored. We are a part of a bigger story than what the world is telling us. And so this morning, as we've been talking about this last few weeks, the series called and what we're called to this morning, I want us to jump into this idea that if, as a follower of Jesus, I'm kind of pulling back the curtain of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, you are called, one of the things you're called to be is to make disciples. You are in the process of reproducing yourself as a disciple of Jesus. Our idea this morning is mature Christians, mature Christians reproduce themselves. Now, that means a lot of stuff, and it means that we have to be investing in people. It means we have to risk, we have to take chances, because mature Christians reproduce themselves. They jump into other people's lives. They jump into other people's messiness as the image bearer of Christ and say, let's do life together. As we talked about last week, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As we think about this idea of what does it look for us, like for us as mature followers of Jesus to reproduce, to make more disciples. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Looking at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in other words, that your location, your being, your place is in Him, you're located in Him, then you are a new creation has come. Some of yours will say, if anyone's in Christ, you are, you are a new creation. You're a new being. And this is a higher quality thing. So that, as we've talked about a few times about this passage, is that when you're located in Christ... He therefore then melts you down and he infuses the Spirit of God inside of you. And so as he remakes you into a new being, you're a newer, newer calling. You're called to holy things. You're called to a separate life. You have a new idea. You have new vision. When you see people, you don't see them as something to use, but somebody to serve. And that you see them higher up even than yourself, not to judge them. So this idea of if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. In a few weeks, actually next week, we're going to do baptism. We've been fortunate enough to see lots of baptism. And to me, that's a beautiful picture of you're up here standing and the old life is here. And when you're baptized, you're buried under the water and you're raised up to a new life. It's a physical thing that God, Christ has given us for the New Testament church to be baptized. So the old life is gone and buried and the new life is raised up. A new purpose. You have a calling upon your life. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's good, right? Maybe not. Maybe none of you have sinned. Okay, we're good. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. In other words, because we've been reconciled to him, now it's our job. We are plan A. When God thought up this idea of, hey, I'm going to bring the message of Jesus Christ to the world, my people that have been reconciled to me are going to therefore take that message of reconciliation to the world around. And we are plan A. There is not a plan B. 
So as mature followers of Jesus, we're the ones that are the image bearers of Christ and are called to reproduce what it looks like to be followers of Jesus. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. In other words, he's the king and we're on his behalf as the king. We're going to everyone else and sharing the message of the king. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's our message. When you go to work this week, when you go to school this week, when you go to basketball, you go to whatever you're going to be doing this week, that's your message. Be reconciled to God. I'm an ambassador of Christ. Here's my message. Here's my life purpose. As a follower of Jesus, I'm reproducing. I'm proclaiming the King of Kings is here, and He desires you to be reconciled unto Him. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ, we're a new creation. Through Christ, we are made right before God. And as a new creation, we are called to represent the world, Christ to the world. So listen, we are plan A. There are no backup plans. That's frightening. Look at the person next to you and say, you are plan A. Turn to the other person next to you and say, you're not plan B. (laughs) All right? What that means is what we're called to as far as making disciples, it's serious business. Extremely serious business. But here's the cool thing. Jesus gives us a promise. One, he's called us to do this, but he's not going to forsake us. And as a matter of fact, our job is just to to live out this idea of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and that he gave us two commands. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as much as you love God. Let people know that you love God by the way that you love them. And that sounds pretty simple, but it's pretty difficult to do, isn't it? Jesus has promised to love the song Cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. He's the cornerstone of this church. And so his promise is found in in, uh, Matthew chapter 16. Here it is. Now I say to you that you are... Peter, Petros, which literally is a small rock. Peter, you're the, you're the small rock. And upon this large rock, upon this confession of faith that you've made, I will build my church. In other words, that as we as followers of Jesus confess in this moment that, hey, we, we believe that what Jesus did on the, cro- on the cross was for me. It covers my sin. And I want to live for him the rest of my days. Of my life. That public confession Therefore, it lays another stone upon the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not a builder. I've built one building in Thailand, and the rumor is it's still standing. Okay? But there were a whole bunch of engineers that were there making sure, and they would come along and they'd go, no, Chris, that's not right. And they would take apart the work that I had done, and they would help me. Because apparently buildings have to be level. Okay? But we had a cornerstone. And everything was measured from that cornerstone. And that, this, this image came so alive to me that everything had to be. And so here we are, we got this line, and we're, we're doing it. If anything was off, we had to make sure it was perfectly straight. And, and listen, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the church. He's the cornerstone of our faith. And as he's building, as each one of us confess with our mouth that we are, he's our Lord and he's the cornerstone, then that brick is laid and everything. And so our life is built upon, our faith is built upon that cornerstone. And God is in charge of building. So that's the beauty. Our deal is that we're just going about telling people, hey, I know the cornerstone. I'm, I'm, part, of this, I'm part of this faith story. And here's what God is doing in me. Imitate me 
as I imitate Christ. Jesus' promise is that we don't have to build the church. He's going to build the church. We just need to be out telling the story about how God has reconciled us. Listen, most of us in this room have made a mistake before. I know we're Baptist, some of you. And so you, we've, we, have, we do a really good job of kind of cleaning up and covering up. But when we get raw and we get authentic and we get real, we've made some serious mistakes. Many times we don't feel worthy of the grace that God's given us. We don't feel worthy of the opportunity to have a relationship with God. That is the very message that our neighbors need to hear. Is that God has reconciled this junk or how I feel as junk unto himself, and that because of that, I'm growing and understanding that, one, that God doesn't make junk, that's a lie, but that God's in process of redeeming and working through and bringing me to a place where I understand a little bit more about who Jesus is, understand a little bit more about how, who I am and the call that he has on my life. And so today, the things that used to be appealing to me aren't quite as appealing because I have a desire for more things of Jesus than the things of the world. And so for us, that's the beauty of the deal is that Christ is building the church and he allows us to be a part of plan A. And it's our story saying, listen, here's where God has wrecked my life. When I encountered Jesus, he wrecked my life and here's where he's taking me. Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, a passage that you all know very well. It says, therefore, go. This is the very last thing that Jesus said to his disciples. They gathered together, the resurrection had happened and and um, he's gathering them around, and they're right before this. They fall down at the, his feet, and they worship him. And, and he says, all authority has been given to me under heaven and on earth. And it, after that, he says this, therefore, you, my disciples, go. So that means, then, that this place on Sunday morning or Wednesday evening or whatever, when we gather here, this is a gathering place not to just sit, but even more than that, it's a gathering place to be sent out from. That more than this being a gathering place, this is a sending forth place. And so that as we gather here on Sunday, that we're kind of re-energizing, we're recommitting, we're looking around and saying, hey, we are plan A. Maybe I haven't had a perfect week, I haven't been a professor of Christ like I want to. I, I, there's probably been days where I wouldn't want someone to imitate my faith. But here I am gathered today and I'm getting strength, I'm being encouraged, iron sharpens iron, because tomorrow, Monday is coming and I'm moving forward in my faith. Therefore, this is a sending place even much more than a gathering place. Because even think about the songs that we sang, a cornerstone, a good, good father, this is amazing grace. Those are truths that we're, we're proclaiming. Yes, they're great songs, but even more than that, we're proclaiming worship and we're saying, God, you are God and I am not. You are worthy of praise and I am not. This is an audience to gather together, not to worship Will and Beth, but to join them in worship and singing for an audience of one. That if we could pull back the curtain that God is up there and saying, this is pleasing words to me, that you're proclaiming truth about who I am so that when you go out on Monday, therefore go and make disciples so that they can proclaim the same thing with their lips and can confess the same things, that we don't gather here for any other reason than to celebrate what God's doing in our life through the week and look forward to the opportunities that we have in the week ahead. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands 
I've given you. We just talked about it. What are the commands? Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all of your strength. In other words, love God with every ounce that you've got. So as you love Him and as life happens, that more and more, like you guys, you know I love food, right? So here's the best illustration I know, that when you have a good steak and you cut into it, a good steak, what happens? Juices ooze out. Listen, because there's been pressure. Life happens, and if you've been marinated in God and you've allowed Him to just, just marinate and soak that stuff up when life happens, pressure happens, oozes out, we're going to go, wow. Even in the midst of this, we're pursuing loving God. We're proclaiming Him. Therefore, go and make disciples. Follow the teachers, the teachings that I've given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always. Wherever you go, to work, to school, to play, to whatever you do, as a follower of Jesus, as you're professing, as you're going and making disciples, you're not doing this on your own. Okay, that Jesus is with you always. The promise is it's not even your work. You're just joining in with him on your work. Your plan A, you're to be there. God's going to do his business, and that's the good part, is that we're just there. We're, we're kind of just part of the process, and we get to be a part of the victory and proclaim. One of the most exciting days of my life, I was 16 years old, and I was on a mission trip for the first time with our youth ministry in Victoria. And we went to um, Boca Raton, Florida for a mission trip. It was Suffering for Jesus in Boca Raton. And uh, we were out there professing. And listen, one of the things we did back in those days as a part of this group is we did a lot of pantomime. Um, so I wore white makeup, and we did this big, huge, I know, really cool. We wouldn't do that to you today. But we did a 30-minute drama, and I was Adam. And so I was this whole process, and it was physical labor, especially out there. And so 30 minutes, and then this young man walks up to me afterwards, and he says, I want what you received in that drama. So here's a 15-year-old guy, I'm 16 years old at the time, and I've never had an opportunity to share my faith. And I turn and I look at my youth pastor, who's been mentoring me and discipling me, and I said, Ken, what do I do? And he goes, you know what to do. Just do it. I think for so many of us, we're in that place where we have an opportunity, we've been in discussions, we kind of freeze up. We're afraid that we don't know the answers, we don't know what to do, we're not qualified And so we kind of freeze up and we look to those around us who you look to the quote-unquote professionals, to your Sunday school teacher or whoever that is, and you say, hey, what do I do? And you bring them to them. And listen, God's God's interest has used you to draw them in. Just tell your story of how I didn't know Christ. This is how Christ wrecked my life, and here's where I'm at now. This is what it means to know Jesus, that you've been called to do that. We are plan A Jesus, when he wrecks your life, or when you've been wrecked by something, there's nothing else that you can do than talk about it. That's why I love seeing people come to know Jesus, because they're going to find any way that they can possibly do to include Jesus into their conversation. The problem is the longer that we're a part of the faith and those times that we've been rejected, those other times that we haven't, whatever, that we begin to get trained that we shouldn't talk about Jesus, so there's appropriate times to talk about Jesus. So we lose some of the enthusiasm, some of the zeal, some of the fire, and we forget how difficult and how messy our lives were, and that sometimes the longer we're in church, the easier it is for us to to feel like, hey, I've kind of got my stuff together. At least I don't have those issues, or at least I'm not like them. Anytime that you begin to think I'm not like them, then you probably need to go join them. 
Because I guarantee you when you join them, you will see that they are just like you. Probably the only difference is that you know Jesus. And you're reminded that I need to be recommitted and understand how much I haven't come far from and that Jesus is still working in me. God has the habit of taking ordinary people and doing extraordinary work. That's what we talked about even this summer with with Daniel, with Gideon, with Deborah, with Moses, with Abraham, with Roy Childs, with Michael Falden, Chris Gillum, Cindy Weber, Jessica James, Michael and Denise Cooper. We could list down name after name after name that you're behind the scenes, you're at work, and you're being the church where you're at. You're doing what you're called to do, and you're just loving on people, and you're caring for people, and you're just ordinary people. But you're day in and day out seeking to be obedient to the call of Jesus. And that because of that, people are watching you. And you may not have even vocalized the words, imitate me, but people are imitating you. And they're wanting to know what is it that's about you that's different. And when they get to the conversation, they go, you go to church a lot. And you're like, it's not about church. It's about the Jesus that I go. It's about the people that are there. And all the things that I do is because I want you to know and understand who Jesus is and how he's wrecked my life and changed it. Even in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says this, The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men. Peter and John, today, who we hold up in high esteem, right? Some places there's churches named after St. Peter or St. John or whatever. Peter and John, amongst their peers, were ordinary people. As a matter of fact, they were stinky fishermen. We would see them at Matagorda Bay or Port Aransas or whatever, right? And here they are, ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. All they had was their story and their time with Jesus. Here's what I love about this. They were also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. When the stuff hit the fan, they oozed out Jesus because they'd been marinated in Jesus, been marinated in the stories of Jesus. And so when life hit, here they are in the most difficult place, literally life or death, they saw Jesus, men that were recognized as Jesus. Here's Jesus' model for what it means. Three and a half years of hanging out with Jesus, Peter and John were radically changed men. That's the model. So as a follower of Jesus, our, our, the plan is, is that if you, as you come to know Jesus, here's what should happen. You should have someone that's a little bit further along in the faith than you and say, hey, I need you to invest in me. If someone doesn't, you come along and say, hey, I need you to invest in me. Let's, let's meet on Fridays for coffee and, and talk about the Scripture. Let's talk about some of the things that, that, that God's been doing in your life and the stuff that you know. Teach me what you know. Let me imitate you because you're a little bit further along the way. And then... You've been a follower of Jesus for a couple of weeks and you find out someone else is now a follower of Jesus. You say, hey, I need to meet with you because I, I need to pass on the things that I'm learning that I've been taught. Even though it's been a couple of weeks, a couple of months, I don't know a whole lot, but I can take you to where I'm at. And so there's this process and this 
movement ahead. And so we've talked about this a couple of times now, but to be a disciple of Jesus literally means to sit at the feet of the rabbi. And so that if Chris here is, is leading and teaching and that I'm discipling others and we're meeting for coffee and we're talking about the things of faith, as we begin to that, look, there's going to be some people that are going to start to tell Chris stories as I talk about Jesus. And so that's the, the whole idea is there's going to be some people that are going to start looking and talking and telling some Mike Cooper stories. There's going to be people that are going to be starting to look and act and talk and tell some of the Randy stories because these are guys that are saying, hey, I, I'm following and pursuing Jesus. And as I follow and pursue Jesus, I'm passing this stuff on. Other people have invested in me. And as I've learned what it means to be a follower of Jesus from this guy's and I'm imitating them and I'm watching their marriage, I'm watching how they treat their children as they follow Jesus, that's impacting my life and my story. Because listen, I didn't just arrive here. I didn't just follow Jesus and go to seminary and here I am. I mean, my, my story is I grew up in a church and I told you, I mean, many times I was angry that I didn't have a testimony of of great change and alteration, right? But as a part of that, growing up in the church, that there were men and women that took time and invested in me. So Fred and Patty Schaefer, who were my early on, our youth workers before we had a a youth pastor, and now Fred and Patty in Katy, Texas. There are schools named after them because of the influence they have had upon young people. That's a heritage of godly men and women saying, we believe in children. We believe in families and to see what God's done through them. One of my mentors, Chris Howard. Chris would get up with me at 5 o'clock in the morning in high school, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, before, in between as we are getting ready for football season. 5 o'clock in the morning, he would meet me at the football field. We would run stands together. We would run, do all the different things. He'd go to the weight room with me before he went into um, work or after he'd gotten off work because he usually worked the night shift. So he'd get off work. And come and work out. Jim Walters, a pastor I served with for 15 years. His words to me were, Chris, I've never led a youth group. I've never, youth, never read a youth ministry book, but we've called you to be our youth pastor. Go get it. And all, every time we would sit down and we'd just talk life and faith and to see him and have us over for Thanksgiving and Christmas and to, just to see the investment. Howard Waller, which some of you have met, just a guy of grace, just deep grace, and could, could see the good in Jesus working in even the deepest, craziest, messiest of places. And then I went home this week, went back to Denver this week. Um, one of my mentors, Neil Parrott, passed away. And the guy that really, when we first met him, I was like, who is this dude? Uh, he was so unassuming. But as I got to know him, Got to hear a little bit of his story from other people and what God had done. This is a guy who was the leader of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. And before he took over and before he became in charge of dams for the United States, we'd had some dam failures. And the U.S. government came to him and said, Hey, Neil, we want you to consider being the person in charge and, and figuring out how we can do dams and not have this. And it was such an overwhelming call for him. He's a young man, like in his late 20s, early 30s. And he's prayed about it, and he said he heard a word from God. This is like one of, the, one of those moments where he heard a direct word, and he said, Neil, if you do this, there will not be another damn failure on your watch in the United States. And so over the last 40 years, there hasn't been another damn failure that he's been a part of, of concrete dams 
And listen, if you study this and you look at stuff from all over the world now, because of this unassuming engineer that said yes to use my gifts and my talents, his talents, we were able to take and build over 100 water wells in Thailand and to take living water into people so that they could get to know the Jesus that we knew in South Asia and in Africa and all these places around the world because because of the work that because of that moment on his knees when he heard God say that in that moment it opened up opportunities for Neil that literally the king of Thailand would call him and say hey Neil I need you to come help us build this kings and and queens in Africa would call and say hey Neil the UN would call and say hey Neil and he knew that not only was he an engineer but he was a missionary An ordinary guy from nowhere, Kansas, that has a global impact. Because he said, God, this scares me to death, but I've heard you call and I'm going to go do it. Therefore, go and make disciples. Each one of us are ordinary people that have an opportunity, we have a calling, we have a job to invest in those around us. And my central job as a dad, the number one place that I'm to therefore go is to my household and to teach my children what does it look like to be Jesus and to imitate me. And that scares me. I told you that. It scares me last week because sometimes my kids do look like me and act like me. And sometimes it's not the good things. I mean, they have my beautiful smile and hair. I used to have hair like, well, it was, it was flowing, man. I had a mullet. It was awesome. You probably don't remember that, do you? 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Here's something I've been really pondering on over the last few days, few weeks. You teach people what you know, but you reproduce who you are. You teach people what you know, but you reproduce who you are. You ever had that moment as a parent? Don't do what I say. Don't do what I do. Do what I say. Don't do what I do, but do what I say. They're saying, hey, I'm trying to teach you. But in reality, they're just imitating what we do. You're going to teach what you know, but you're going to reproduce who you are. If you don't like what you see in those around you, then many times they're mirroring back what you see in yourself. Those things that we judge in other people, those things that bug us in other people, Usually, it's a mirror back to us. If you don't like someone's attitude or if you don't like whatever it is, just stop for a moment and say, is that me? Is the reason I'm irritated by this or that, is that, is that me? And nine times out of ten, when I've done that, it's like, yeah, I'm irritated at you because you're looking and acting like me. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Mature Christians reproduce listen that's one of the things that i look forward to is that my children will one day hopefully they will find someone a husband and a wife that will love them and care for them and they'll come to that decision of hey we think we'd like to have kids that's a that's a sign of maturity is reproducing in a healthy family manner a healthy family reproduces As a church here, as a healthy family, one of the markers of health for us as a church is, are we as individual Christians, are we reproducing others? Listen, there are going to be opportunities. We're 
one of the things I said early on is, hey, as God does what he does here, there's going to be some from other churches and different things, and those are all wonderful and great things. But ultimately, we're not about swapping sheep. We're about going out and reaching those that are lost. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save those that are lost. So our goal, our desire is is that we're out and about loving our neighbors, loving God, loving our neighbors. As we do that, people are drawn in and said, I want what you got. Because this is not just a, a gathering place, but it's a centrifuge and sending out. So that tomorrow when you go to work, say, I'm called as a follower of Jesus. I'm called to be growing. I'm called to be making disciples. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Let's pray together. Dearly Father, we do confess many times we're more about do what I say, not do what I do. Father, I just pray for us in this room. For each of us. We, we already know that we have people in our life that need Jesus. I pray that you would give us an overwhelming burden. That we cannot go another day, another week, without engaging them in conversation. Without having an opportunity to at least begin to invest. To therefore go and make disciples. And Father, to know that it's not our burden to make it happen. You're going to make it happen, but we are a part of the process. You are the cornerstone, and you're going to build your church, but it's upon our profession, it's upon the professions of others, of what they see happening, that that happens. So Father, I pray that those here would understand and grasp the weight and the beauty of that calling, be re-amazed by the grace that they've received through Jesus Christ. And to regain and understand that, yes, we've, we've grown and we've cleaned up and we look a little bit more like Jesus, but we still haven't arrived and that we still have some messiness. Father, may you be honored and glorified through the way that we walk and live and the way that we pray over and weep over our community this week. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.